Hello and welcome to this episode of the Midnight Narwhal podcast. I am one of your hosts, James. So are we have we really like landed on that as the name of the podcast? The Midnight Narwhal podcast? Yeah, yeah. Are, is that open to revision? I mean, I know you like the, the this what was it? Discount Shark Shark Week? Yeah, Discount Shark Week podcast. <laughs> Dude, I don't know. I mean, we've been a season and a half of the Midnight Narwhal podcast. It might confuse the few listeners that we do have if we change if we keep changing things but i was just i was just wondering if we you know just kind of how that was i just didn't know yeah i mean i i like it uh i think it's it's got staying power it's unique enough Um, aquatic it's aquatic you know eclectic both of those things mammalian yeah which i mean you and i are both mammalian which we have that in common with the uh the tusk beast yes. of the arctic or antarctic yeah they live in antarctica yep. yeah they're basically the yep. same place they're both cold no no they're not mm-hmm. and also it's not the antarctic it is the arctic oh okay north the north they're they're north pole <laughs> yeah they're the north they're side. both okay i point to one species that lives in like the north pole that could not survive in the south pole or vice versa they're the exact same place. I mean, they're not like they are different, but I mean, sure, I get it. We can, we can do whatever we want with that. I mean, it's like North and, and South have, Dakota. Have our listeners like, be wrong. I don't care which one you're from. You're basically the same place. So you're telling me that you live in South Carolina? I don't, because they are, that is different. Because they do mustard-based barbecue down there, which is totally wrong, and. I live in a place where it's divided between <laughs> vinegar-based and tomato-based barbecue. Yeah, but North and South Pole, in the South Pole, you have penguins. There are no penguins at the North Pole. But there could be, is what I'm saying. Except the polar bears will eat them. They could not survive. That's the, that's the thing. Save the polar bears, bring in penguins as a food source. We've just solved it. Boom. But there's polar bears in both the North and South Pole, right? No. Polar bears are North Pole. Then what's the natural predator of the uh, penguin in the South Pole? There are these things called seals. But there's not seals in the North Pole. There are seals in the North Pole, too. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm certain that I could go get two penguins, throw them up north. I bet they would thrive. As long as they didn't encounter any polar bears or vice versa. I mean, they would see seals, Mm -hmm. but also who knows if the penguins food is at the North Pole. They eat fish, I think. I mean, yes. Yeah. But it's not just like, hey, look, here's some halibut. Let me chomp on this. They have specific food that they eat. I don't think it's just like any fish. Okay. You need to watch some Planet Earth documentaries with David Attenborough. That's what I'm learning from this. Man, like, I, I'm just not, like, I don't think I'm the, the target demographic for that. Like, I love David Attenborough. Like, I think he's amazing. He's a, he's a national treasure, and he's not even my national treasure. He's, he's like... Someone's national treasure. Someone's national treasure. But I, I don't know, like, unless it's like, I can get into, like, the lion eating the eating the, the the zebra sort of thing or 
you know, like rhinos attacking each other uh-huh. or, you know, stuff like that going to battle. But like, if it's, I already hate the cold, so I'm not going to watch okay. anything that glorifies it or make it into this beautiful thing. Cause in my opinion, anything below 70 is not a beautiful thing. You know, that's a very sad take to have. On I life. know, I know it is, but it's the one I, it's the one I have currently. Yeah, but you don't um, have to keep it. You can get rid of that. You can change and grow and become more and better than who you are. Well, you know, I, I do and have what a... What a better yeah. way than do that publicly via your podcast. <laughs> well, you know, I am young, so I'm sure I, I will change a lot in the coming years. But One I can only hope. Yeah, you know, I, I haven't made it like you. But, I mean, you're knocking on death's door at this point. So, I mean, you, you probably don't have much, much else to really change you know you've reached the peak of of uh human excellence right sure this is starting to that. get starting to get real I've, like mean actually i'm gonna i'm gonna i have me. reached the peak of human excellence <laughs> i am there and have gone right on past it think like a comet orbiting through and if the peak of excellence is the sun or a different star you just end up slingshotting around it and never reaching it you're like oh hello okay wow and then you just get shot back out into the furthest reaches of space hoping that you collide with something larger than you so you could end your existence for forever got it got it i am that comet you're that comet well mr that comet would you like to actually introduce yourself like like i did earlier because it seemed i just did that i'm that comet you're that comet does that comet have a name yeah, Haley Bob. All right, cool. Um, I'm not calling you that the rest of the episode. Um, I'm just gonna call you Andy. Just call me HB. That's HB, fine. HB, HB, cool. Well, I'm gonna call you Andy actually. And despite what that uh, what that back and forth may have seemed like, I actually do enjoy this. Um, this is this is a good part of my week. I I, I love what, this show. This podcast. This podcast. I really like this podcast, man. You I, like this? I do. I do. I have fun when I do this. Okay. Um, you know, it's nice getting to maintain this friendship that surely would have dissolved by now had we not had this uh, shared thing together. So that's nice. Uh, it's nice expanding my horizons and learning new things, sharing those things with, with other people. Like the difference between yeah. the North and South Pole. Yeah, which, you know, I don't actually think we clarified, but, you know, they can look that oh, up we for definitely themselves. did. Yeah. <laughs> But I, 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 yeah, I, I do love the show, man. I, I also like that it's, it covers such a wide array of topics, you know, bears, cocaine, cocaine bears, soldiers yeah. on meth, those that were crazy enough without meth. We're big fans of soldiers, actually, and 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 wars and their stories, and yeah, I mean, we, we've got a lot of those stories, don't we, Andy? We do have a lot of those stories. Mm-hmm. Um... We talk about children in perilous situations often. Unfortunately, yes. Well, we handle that very well and seriously, and we do not approach it in a joking manner in the slightest. No, never. Because we're mature. We're mature. We're above that sort of thing. Uh, We don't want to subject our listeners to that sort of thing. Last season, we... We also discussed Australia, and it's one true true king, the, uh, the crocodile hunter. We, we went did, yes. we went on a three-part episodic journey wearing tinfoil hats as we unraveled the truth behind the birds aren't real theory. We did a lot of things, man. I would like to point out that 
I did not actually wear a tinfoil hat. I might have said that I was wearing one, but that was a lie. Mm. And I just want to come clean on that at this moment in time. Well, I respect your honesty, and I think our listeners uh, will as well. But yeah, we've we've discussed a lot of things, man. And You're uh, welcome, Mom. I... I really like it. And I'm glad that we're able to continue discussing lots of things and different things and new things. And, you know, this week's no different. I'll be honest. This kind of feels like you're recapping to break up. It's like, no, you know, no. we've gone through so much together and I'm so sorry to announce that this, this moment is the end that it is finished and we are parting hopefully amicably, you know, it's, it is me. It's not you. That's where I feel this yeah. is going. We're, we're splitting up the listeners in the divorce, basically. So I'm going to get them on, on weekends and holidays. You can have them on weekdays. And then, you know, we'll work something out maybe in the future for like some shared custody. No, no, I'm not, I'm not breaking up with you or, or ending this, this, uh, this podcast. I'm just setting up what this episode is about. And I, I throw back to last season's episodes because today's episode... Is sort of an amalgam of of three things that we have discussed in the past. What what do you what do you oh you you got your thinking face on? That's uh-huh. <laughs> today. Okay. Yeah. Today I ask you and our listeners to join me as we combine many elements from season one into an epic story of man's hubris and Mother Nature's triumph. Yet again, we find ourselves going down under to the western part of Australia. Scene has been set. Okay. Yes. And I know we kind of just dived in, but we're just diving in. That's today. fine. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. I mean, that's why we call this podcast. The Midnight Narwhal Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Email us at discountshartweek. Discount at- <laughs> uh, Nailed it. <laughs> no, uh, but yeah. We're, we're back in Australia today. Uh, looking forward to it. I love being uh, in Australia. I've actually never been actually in Australia, but... Um, yeah, I was about to say, like, have you been? I don't think you've been. I would love to go. Like, I, I really would. I think it'd be really cool. Um, I would love to go on tour there with this podcast. Mm-hmm. We've like, got a big following, you know. I think they, they love it when we talk about them because we just hit hit the nail right on the head, you know, about them as a as a people, as a nation, um, as a culture. I think we, we vibe with that. We don't, you know, we don't play on any stereotypes that may or may not be abundantly true. (laughs) Um, but I I don't want to set anything more up because I will give it away. And I do think that you know about this topic today. So I'll just dive into the story. And once you know, or don't know, you can tell me. But yes, we are back in Australia. We're going to go all the way back to the years following World or following World War One. Um, the Australian government struggled to find things for their veterans to do upon returning home from war. I see the smile. <laughs> from nothing, nothing continued. Nothing. All right, cool. So, in 1915 a soldier settlement scheme was uh, being rolled out across all of Australia. And what that means is like the, the country was like, Hey, we're going to take care of you guys. You know, you fought for us, you saved the world, you know, we're going to take care of you. 
So it's all as around they should. as they should, as any nation should when their soldiers come home from war. Um, it eventually saw around 5,000 ex-soldiers given plots of land to farm in Western Australia, which is not really a great land uh, for farming, but it's, you know, it's what they had. It is not. No. Um, so, yeah, the government said, all right, guys, trade in your, your rifles for pitchforks. You're going to go be farmers now. Here's a bunch of land and, you know, cultivate it with like wheat and sheep and stuff. So that was in 1915. They're given all this land. 1920 happens, you know, five years of that. And the government had at that point purchased 90,000 hectares of land, uh, which is a lot of land. I don't quite know what a hectare is. That is a lot. How much is a hectare? I I just said, you know, let me look it up, actually. One hectare is... Hector's that guy who fought Achilles. Uh, cor- correct. One hectare is 2.47 acres. Wow. So that's even more in acres. That's lots Uh, of acres. That's lots of acres of land. That's a lot of land. Um, But it actually still needed more land for all these veterans and and, uh, for all these remaining soldiers. And so they expanded even more. They were getting in some pretty marginal areas uh, of Perth in Western Australia Uh, and this made things pretty tough because, and as I said before, it's not great land getting uh getting settled in a farm and like making it prosperous making it worth money farming a land with little to no experience which is what these veterans had they weren't farmers by trade they were soldiers doing that in a good area is difficult and it takes time and it is by no means a small feat this is um, true but let alone in an area that is just like barren and unusable and so it was just a really hard time for them. And, you know, they just got back from World War I, which was an awful, awful war. And, you know, they, they've they got a decade, basically, of somewhat prosperity. It's the 1920s, um, you know, the roaring 20s in America. Times are, Times are great. And because America's doing great, other nations are doing great, the world's on fire or on fire in a good way you know things are things are prosperous um even though it is still a challenge now that of course comes to an end about nine years later in the year 1929 because the great depression well uh, oh, i've heard of that yeah it was uh it was kind of sad times depressing times you might say you know in america but also all over the world and really because uh, it's like I won't say it started in America, but like a lot of the world's problems got worse because of how America responded to their Great Depression. You know, like we had USA, yeah. USA. Well, what what they were like, you know, something that we tried to do was, oh man, we're we're depressed. Let's hike up like taxes on imports um, so that we can get some money that way to help us out, and that in turn hurts all the other nations that were sending stuff out. Um, and so that hurt their economies and be, you know, it's just this whole domino chain that, Oh yeah. That came, came to a really crappy head and Australia was no different. You know, uh, it was, it was really hard and they were put under a lot of pressure. And so this caused wheat prices to plummet. Um, and 
wheat yeah, was a bread cheap. Yeah. Like wheat was a, a big export for Australia. Australia relied on a lot of its exports. And they also, they had come up with this new currency and they had tied it to the English pound, um, which was on the gold system. And then basically England, like they, they cut ties with a lot of things and they re reworked their currency system, which really hurt Australia as well. And so, yeah, the value of their stuff was just going down, 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 which you know, they're, they're going to make less of it because it's like, Hey, like we're not getting money for this and we don't, we're not even good at this. And so it was this battle between farmers and Australian government. And finally the Australian government was like, Hey man, we'll, we'll subsidize just like, we, we, we need wheat. We need it for bread and other things. You need to make this stuff. And so they promised subsidies for the wheat, but that was a lie. They never came. No subsidies ever came. No government help ever came. And disappointment. Yeah, a lot of disappointment. A lot of these veterans just could not hack the farming life. And so they decided to move to major cities and look for work, you know, all grapes wrath style, which I'm sure was super difficult and depressing, just like reading that book was for me. I do not like that book. Oh, okay. So that's what you meant. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, for the few veterans that did remain, that didn't pack up and leave and, you know, try to start anew, their hard times were just getting started. You know, like, uh, if they could, if they could have seen what was ahead of them, they would have packed up and left in a heartbeat at the drop of a hat. They would have packed up their dingoes and their babies and just headed to like a big city. Yeah, you don't put both of those together. That's a really, really. That's a bad thing. Yeah. That's a bad thing. Yeah, you don't put the dingoes and the babies in the same suitcase. Okay. Dingoes go in one, babies go in the other suitcase. Separate them. All right, cool. I'll remember that next time I'm in that situation. So now that we've set the scene geographically and historically and economically, let's take a moment to do a little bit of some cultural exchange. Emotional. Oh, yes, and emotionally. We've, we've set the stage. Let's take a moment and do a little bit of a cultural exchange, exchange. Here in America, we have a national bird. Yes, we do. And it's the bald, bald eagle. It's a protected species. If one was to kill a bald eagle, the first criminal offense would get you a misdemeanor with a maximum penalty for, of one year in prison and a $100,000 fine dang that's first offense after that it becomes a felony and the fine goes up and you can see yourself in prison for five years all for killing a bird how much is the fine then um it goes up just as exponentially as your prison time does so about half a million um okay. yeah so and lots of countries have national birds and, and basically all of them they are a protected species and with that protection right, there is some sort of fine or criminal charge that comes along with killing or harming one of them, which, I mean, yep. you know, that makes sense. Um, some, sometimes they're endangered species, which has an, an, a whole other list of, of problems and, and adjacent things. Which, can we talk for it. a minute about why, like, a country would be like, oh, this animal's endangered? 
we're going to choose it to be like our national mascot. I don't know. You know, this bird can't, or this creature or whatever, can't take care of itself in a way that keeps it from dying to literally everything. And that's what we want to use to symbolize us. That makes sense. It shows our vulnerability as a whole group <laughs> of people. Yeah. I mean, and that's why, like, there's no country with, like, the national bird of that's a dodo. Um, or... I did when I was looking when I was doing research for this, and this is all just you know like seasoning on the actual yeah. main course. Um, so I kind of got lost in the sauce when I was I was I was uh, prepping for this thing. But uh, there are some countries that have national birds that are uh, fake, like that don't that don't exist. They're like uh, <laughs> mythical birds, um, like Uzbekistan, for okay. example. They and like i didn't have i don't have this written down so i couldn't i can't tell you the name of it but i just remember i was like what's the national bird of uzbekistan and it said what it was and then it said it's a mythical creature that symbolizes like love and peace and unity or something like that i was like oh that's interesting some places don't even have real creatures as their national bird or symbol um, well i mean to be fair i that makes more sense to me like if really? i was starting a country my bird like my national bird would be a dragon a dragon that's yeah that's my national bird okay um because you don't mess with them like that that displays the sort of thing i want people to feel of oh they're not real we'll leave them alone mm, which i mean is accurate for your nation um, yeah, yeah that's why yeah not real we'll leave you it alone get it. you get yeah, it i get it i understand I'm, I'm smelling what you're stepping in bro um but yeah, some places have like the national bird of India is a peacock. The national bird of the Bahamas is, ah! a, is a flamingo. Um, I don't know what noise they make. They just yeah, smell real bad. They smell real, real bad. They're pink. Yeah. Lots of places have national birds and they're protected species. Australia has a national bird. It is an emu. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah i mean that's a pretty legit bird that's it's a terrifying a, bird it's the second largest bird in the world dude yeah and i see i fully support their choice of the emu yeah like that's brilliant no i mean because well, you don't mess with an emu those jokers will wreck you so yeah they're they're around six feet tall between 79 and 90 pounds and they can run at like 31 miles an hour. Like, That's a terrifying dinosaur. That's yeah. not a bird. That's a dinosaur. It's a dinosaur. Yeah, they don't fly because, you know, they're, you know, you wouldn't, who would it's expect like a, a bird to like fly? It's like a talonless velociraptor. That's yeah. basically what they are. Um, and like when Australia was settled, there was millions of them, millions of them and like a bunch of different subspecies. But because, you know colonizers and and people gonna people people gonna people that millions population qu rather quickly got down to the thousands and thousands and so um in the late 1800s early 1900s they became a protected species so that the the population could get back up and by the year 1920 or by the year 1920 they they were uh, back to a really safe level of population, really 
comfortable level of population, still not in the millions, but like still solid to where they're, they're no longer like an, ex, like an extinct or endangered of being extinct species. Um, but a problem with that is, and we've talked a little bit about what they are, these massive dinosaur birds, but they're, they're migratory. So they remain inland during the uh, mating seasons. And then they go to like some more coastal lands once that season is over to actually, you know, have the babies and lay the eggs and do all the things, um, which all not unlike penguins who are also flightless birds. Um, the males that are, migratory. that are migratory, the males do the incubating of the egg and, and like, are there for it when it hatches and stuff, which is pretty cool, you know, mm -hmm. equality. Um, now, one problem. For the southern hemisphere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, one problem for uh, for the emus and for the farmers is that you know the, these emus have been moving out west and inland and 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 back to coastal lands, mm -hmm. you know, for for years and years and years and years. And then all of a sudden there's just a bunch of farmers propping up and they're putting, you know, plots of land down and they're bringing all these wheat fields up and it's kind of, they're kind of in their way. And at first they were like, yo, what are you doing? This is, this is where we come, you know, after. So you're after saying the, that the emus tried to rationalize with the farmers. Yeah. You know, they were like, Hey, you know, what's up, what's going on here? You know, this isn't cool. I thought you guys stayed, you know, East, you know, what are you doing out mm -hmm. West here? There's nothing out here for you guys. Um, <laughs> then it kind of, they became a little bit hostile. You know, they're, they started being like, oh, wait. So, I mean, you guys are here, which is lame, but you brought food. Like you're, you're growing all this wheat and stuff. Like we like wheat. We'll eat the wheat. And they started just eating their, their farms just, and like, I say eating, like obliterating this like these like locusts like, oh yeah very much like so. the world's largest scariest locust they're coming and not only are they like they're eating the stalks down to the down to the the, the ground but then when they're that like just feels excessive it's excessive but then when they're breaking in they're like busting holes in all these fences and like the all these rabbits that that live in australia are being like oh you guys are breaking in hey like while they're in, the farmers are probably going to be worried about the emus, so we can sneak in too, and we'll eat the roots of the wheat. And so, like, they're even like, it is just, it is a, it's again a domino effect of Mother Nature and the animal kingdom kicking it to uh, the human race, um, which really. Stinks. I I just like that you've basically created an alliance of emu and rabbits oh yeah who were joined up together to take on humanity after the emus tried to have diplomatic talks with them and the uh, humans were like nah we're done well you see I'm, I'm setting all this up because today's topic and i'll go ahead and say it now because i'm fairly confident that you like based on your reactions you know what we're talking about is the great emu war of the 1920s <laughs> it is i think my favorite of all the forgotten wars yes that i'm aware of yeah um and like i was telling you before we press record like i didn't realize that that you would have had the ability to know about this until like last night when i'm doing some final research and i see this thing that we both like that we've talked about before there's another podcast uh -huh. called um called, uh, called the dollop um and 
uh, yeah, I, I have yet to listen to this episode of the dollop because I didn't want it to like interfere and like, <laughs> bro, I was so tempted to today, but I was like, no, if I do, then like, it's going to throw me off or it's going to make me not want to do it. Um, so I'm trying to make this our own, um, you know, midnight narwhal yep. version of this story, which is still the same story. It's history. But, absolutely uh yeah after i saw that i'm like oh man i bet he's seen that episode all right he's listened to that episode oh um, yeah i have yeah so that's that's why i'm framing it in that way because we're talking about the great emu war uh, of the 1920s in australia which is fantastic it's pretty great when i saw that this was a thing i lost it i was like this is amazing and i can totally see this happening in australia of all places you know, yeah, that, that makes sense. Things are adding. And then I read the story and learned about it. And just everything was like, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, but we're going to talk My about it. My favorite part is when the emus pick up the machine guns, like so good. Mm-hmm. Super good. And the rabbits are actually on, like they've saddled the emus and, you know, like they do have this alliance and um, without, you know, their, because they're rabbits you know so they're breeding like crazy so they're just always popping out troops you know like it's just a um oh it's yeah yeah that's that's a picture of an emu in in a in a helmet an army helmet an army helmet (laughs) oh my goodness (laughs) we have so many so many wonderful choices (laughs) for the instagram photo for this one yep so these farmers were like yo emus dude this ain't cool like we're already struggling here you know the land is crap the economy's crap we're depressed and you're coming in here and eating our stuff that's not cool and we can't kill you or harm you because there's a stupid law that says you're a protected species and so they went to the australian government and was like yo you gotta allow us to kill these things and so um, they uh, went and got them reclassified as nuisance animals, as vermin. Uh, and like is strong, harsh words for these birds. Yeah, well, and that can, like that makes me think of like a six foot tall rat. Vermin? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, that's basically what they're saying. Like this is like a six foot, I guess, long. The feathered rat, rat yeah. Like that's that's honestly, I think probably more terrifying to me than than an actual emu. Mm-hmm. It's a giraffe rat. Yep. Yeah. Um, now by late 1932, you know the depression is on, and oh yeah, hardcore, mm-hmm. hardcore depression is on. There are 20,000 of these emus wreaking havoc on the marginal wheat fields of these beleaguered veterans. Which that's is... a significant <laughs> army. Uh, of yeah, a uh, significant or of anything. Of, of anything. Yeah, Twenty thousand is a lot of anything, definitely. Twenty thousand, like, I don't dead know. Children dead children is horrible. Okay, yeah. Um, we talk about dead kids too many times on this podcast. I gotta have to cut <laughs> that out. I was gonna say like, like dust bunnies. I think is what I was gonna say, and that's a dust lot of bu- dust that's, bunnies. That's that's a lot of dust bunnies. Like mm-hmm. twenty thousand is a significant number of truly anything that is it's too much like mm-hmm. i can't think of anything where it's like oh yeah twenty thousand is a is a, a 
rational number except for like maybe dollars i was about to say like, you know you would I, go, I would love like twenty thousand dollars right now that'd be great yeah but, i'll take that um but like twenty thousand cookies mm-hmm. that's a lot of cookies excessive dude. very excessive. excessive yeah that's diabetes for the entire neighborhood mm-hmm. so yeah they that's their that's the emu army basically out west now that's not the entire What's the popu- name of their general um I didn't think about this. Uh, (laughs) Now, it is funny. There are some quotes that I'll read later. I'll cut this part out. But there are quotes that that I'll read later that talk about, it's Australian soldiers talking about the emu enemy and like describing them like actual, like, yeah. Um, So there's a lot of them. That's the emu army. And they're up against these former World War I soldiers um, who are frustrated, tired, pissed off. And I mean, now that they've gotten the the fines and the legality you know orchestrated out, they're they're just being like, all right, we'll shoot anything that moves that's trying to get to our our wheat fields. And they're not having any luck. And I'll be honest, like if there's like veterans of a war that I definitely do not want to have come at me i think it's world war one world war one than any other war and australian world war one like add the fact that they're australian too to that yeah because yeah. that that just ramps everything up anyways like australia is just like oh you take what's normal you put it in australia and it becomes crazy and then because i mean world war one you have i mean literally everybody is like experiencing all this new technology for the first time and then you d- to put on top of that gas not like gasoline, but like poison gas mm-hmm. that messes with your brain. Yep. And also there's the trench warfares, which that just adds on a whole different level of terror. It's like a horror movie nonstop. And you have the trenches where literally you're walking around, squelching around in dead bodies who are just part of the mud that you're trying to sleep in. And I mean, it's horrid. And so if there's a group of veterans, people who have lived and served and had people die like that's the worst conditions that troops have ever truly like been in for like a four-year period it would be world war Mm one but that's insane and i do not want them coming after me because they understand what hardship is they understand how to win in spite of a thousand things so I'm just going to go ahead and predict now that the emu lose. No, I mean, that's by all accounts, like, you know, you're taking in all the information that you can get. That's, that's a more than fair prediction. Like that is a safe assumption to be like, yeah, the world war one vets got this in the bag. It's a bird. Like it's a massive bird, but it's still a stupid bird. And it's still a bird. These are trained. These are trained soldiers with guns, and like skilled soldiers with guns. You know, like these are trained riflemen who, you know, they they, you know, kill thousands of things. You know, critter critters, varmints, uh, people. Germans. Unfortunately, during the war, um, uh, you know, crocodiles. Probably they're Australian. Who knows? Um, there are oh, so many. Happened. Yeah, there are so many things in in the Australian outback that just want to kill you that these guys are just that these guys just wake up every day and are like bang you're dead now bang you're dead now bang you're dead now 
And so, yeah, if it's if if I was a betting man, I'd be betting on the on the soldiers to win. Now, unfortunately, yep. after you know five years of them between the time they got them removed as a uh, protected species and uh, this time in 1932, um, like it, they just weren't making a massive dent in this emu population. And they were also like running out of ammo. <laughs> like they, they, cause they, it was just like them. Like they, they didn't have any like government support, you know, it was okay. just them. So it's like, it'd be like, like me. local Jimmy Bob mm-hmm. out there. It'd be like Get off my land. Mm-hmm. It'd be like me going to Walmart to buy some, buy some shotgun shells and doing it myself. Um, and my neighbor's doing it himself and himself and himself, you know, you know, however many times down. And we so the, we very quiet. Yeah, hunting emo. The the veterans just could not get the ammunition ammunition they needed. Also, like these birds are so like sporadic and quick. Like we said, they run at like thirty miles an hour. Hit and run that, tactics. Like, like they're just you know they've got their rifles, their standard issue you know semi automatic um, uh, rifles. You know that's it's a fast moving target. You know it's hard to kill. Um, cause, and these are like bolt action stuff. So it's mm-hmm. bang. All right. And then hold the bolt back and then bang, do the same. It's not, there's nothing fully auto for them to have, uh, at their disposal personally. And, you know, they're farmers. You'd think a farmer would go to like, in an Australia, you have the minister of certain things. So you'd think they'd go to the minister of agriculture <laughs> and say, Hey, agriculture dude you got to help us out with this stuff this is a problem but that's not what they did they went to the minister of defense um and said hey we need to treat this like war i'll be honest i like the way they think yeah you know it's it's a bold tactic but you know in many times in history well what's the expression history favors the bold isn't that isn't that history favors the bold yeah History is written by the victors, mm-hmm. but I mean, truly, like people who are not bold don't make changes to the world. No, exactly. So yeah, they they called upon the Australian Minister of Defense, Sir George Pierce, and he ordered the. Uh, I would love to sit in on that meeting, where just like a bunch of farmers are, and so like, beep, uh, yeah, so, Susan, what is it? Um, hi, I've got a, a bunch of um, farmers out here who are wanting to meet <laughs> with you. And what? I've, I've got a big bushy mustache. I'm not someone who's meets with farmers. No, no. Um, they definitely they they say there's a war happening, and we need to be involved with that. Okay, fine. I'll talk to them. And just like, but generally, like, how did that go? Like, how do you begin that conversation as a farmer to <laughs> the like minister of defense and be like, hey, so uh, we got these, uh, we got these, these birds that are attacking us and we want like tanks. Um, how do you not get laughed out of the office? That's really all I'm wondering. I'm wondering how you not initially and immediately get laughed out. So he, here's how it was framed because these were these farmers were former soldiers so they framed it in a way that would make that would like help the australian army and 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 be a benefit to them not as something Ah. would be so what they did is they were like 
Hey, you know, you're going to finance it. So you, you know, you're going to help us get, you're going to pay for our ammunition and all the stuff that, and you know, all the military, per, you're going to give us access to guns that only military personnel have access to, but like we're the farmers. So we'll provide food. We'll provide uh, accommodation. But in doing this Australian government, you're going to give your army some good target practice. You know, they're going to be, yeah, it's going to be a mm-hmm. lot of money and bullets, but I mean, you can hit an emo, you can hit a man. Exactly. Cause no, no man is running at 31 miles an hour. Um, you know, the, it, this would be purely beneficial, but also they set it up as like a propaganda thing. So they start, they actually sent some cinematographers to like <laughs> film, which is a, a bad um, idea. Always, a, always a bad idea. As we learned last if week, there's one thing <laughs> that humans love to watch. It's people massacring animals. Um, yeah, definitely. So they That's were like, "That's why dog fighters get off way easier than <laughs> rapists." <laughs> Which, um, I mean, I don't think they would have shown them shooting birds. I think they would have mainly like filmed the men shooting the guns and bit, and it would have been like, and then uh, pan to yeah. a gigantic pile of dead birds. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, but it was, it was. Uh, brought up as a way look at like, found <laughs> brought up as a way of like hey you're gonna get some you know training exercises for your military and and they're gonna become better better shooters and and it's gonna be a mutually beneficial thing and so sir george pierce um he said okay you know he offered or he ordered the army to call the emu population <laughs> Um, and he was later called the Minister of the Emu War by Parliament. <laughs> you know, like, I have a feeling that dude was just bored and was like, you know what? Here we have our boys. They're sitting around not really doing anything. Like, they're just, like, rotting sitting around over there. We got to give them something to do. Mm-hmm. So, here. Yeah, let's go shoot these Tyrannosaurus shoot Rex birds. Shoot some, shoot some, yeah, shoot some birds. And so... um the war, in, in 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 air quotes, was conducted under the command of Major G. P. W. Meredith of the Seventh Heavy Battery of the Royal Australian Artillery, opposed by General Sir Quaxalot. <laughs> yeah, um, they brought in a duck. I don't know. Like, I feel I feel like it's important. Like, ducks just have very great strategic minds. Mm-hmm. And so they're really great at maneuvering the muscle that is the emu. Yeah. But yeah, so he he was like conducting this army um, of, the, of, of Australians. Um, he commanded soldiers Sergeant S. Uh, McCurry and Gunner J. O'Halloran. Um, and these two men were armed with two Lewis guns. Um, which Please are, tell me what is a Lewis gun? A Lewis gun is the first World War era light machine gun. It was designed privately in America, uh, but not a... Uh, but, of course uh, it was. Yeah, you know, we're great at building guns. Pew, pew, um, America. Yeah, the design was finalized and mass-produced, though, in the United Kingdom and widely used by troops in uh, the British Empire and Australia during the First World War. Um, and it kind of looks like a cannon at the end <laughs> with like um, a rotary thing on the back and then then a trigger and 
like how it would be held and there's pictures of these these guys um like these two men holding it there would be a guy who holds the barrel on his shoulder and and another guy behind him firing which is real safe you know oh very yeah i'll be the trigger end thank you very much (laughs) yeah which i mean the the guy up front has to be deaf like there's no question of like it just yeah there's no ifs ands or buts if he's holding the barrel end of a machine gun <laughs> on, like right next to his face no way he's not he's not super deaf but that's that's what they had they had two uh lightweight machine guns ten thousand rounds of ammunition that's um, a lot however it's not enough to get rid of all of the emu no they each had two thousand rounds of ammunition. oh okay. yeah, yeah yeah so that's one bullet per emu you know one bullet per mm-hmm. bird and they're big yeah, honkers they they're big honkers more than one bullet exactly now that's what and, and they also had their their side arms and their you know their standard issue rifles but th- those were the big that was the biggest thing they weren't getting tanks they weren't getting you know mortars or missiles they were getting machine guns i'm honestly sad that there's not tanks involved in this i want there to be like a tank versus bird we'll bring battle. up we'll bring up tanks in a minute because I, I will oh somebody quotes them or quotes comparing something to a tank later and we'll talk about that later um now this operation was supposed to start in um october um of 1932 but it was actually delayed a month uh due to some heavy rainfall that caused emu to scatter like all over like the area so they they were kind of centralized or at least somewhat centralized but like okay. bad weather affected their migrating patterns and they they just scattered and so they had to wait for them to all to kind of get back and so the rain ceased by the second of november if you start picking them off the other emu will realize something's going on yeah and they'll change their tactics mm-hmm. i get it yeah i get it yep and so yeah the rain ceased by november 2nd and 1932 uh, whereupon the troops were then deployed with orders to assist the farmers and according to the newspaper collect 100 emu skins so that their feathers could be used to make hats for horse for horsemen so like an inglorious bastard sort of situation of like i want my scalps like i want my emu skins like i'm gonna get them <laughs> okay but did you not just say they want the feathers for hats yeah for horsemen <laughs> yeah yeah i did that is crazy <laughs> specific like i i do know that hats were a massive deal until like the 1950s like you go back to 1950 and then you go backwards for like 200 years and probably a little bit more and hats were like everything like you didn't leave your house with a hat on like you mm-hmm. had to wear a hat it was basically as important as wearing pants totally and but were horsemen the only ones who could have emu feathers in their hats? Like that's, this is the rabbit trail I need to know more about. And I will be looking up after we're done. Yeah. You, you can, you can do your own research on that. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't say any, any one way, um, you know, as to why, uh, they were for the, the horsemen, but that's just what. Well, if anyone does that said. research. Yeah. You can email us at discountsharkweek at gmail.com. <laughs> that is a real email address that during the recording of this podcast, I have taken and oh now. <laughs> 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 
forward everything from that email to the midnight normal <laughs> email please frick <laughs> now we have two emails that we're not going to be getting people like <laughs> um yeah well i just figured we might as well double up the disappointment totally now we can each have one so <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah that's that's what like they were told to do all right you're each going to get me a hundred emu skins uh, now in this it's war stupidest thing no i know now it, in this war there's really like two major parts of it there's attempt one and attempts two. Oh geez i thought you meant like two major parts like <laughs> the humans no. and the birds no 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 and that the army's <laughs> involved there's only should be one go at this <laughs> no there's two um on november oh, no. 2nd the men traveled to campion which was a part of of western australia where some 50 emus had been sighted now at this point i would like to point out that a group of emu is called a mob so a mob <laughs> of emu are out there now the birds were out of range of the guns at this uh, still at this point as they're okay. approaching them the local so settlers artillery yeah the local settlers and farmers attempted to like herd the emus into an ambush but the <laughs> but the birds split up into smaller groups and ran so that they were difficult to hit nevertheless the first food how do i say this word fusillade um fusillade 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 yeah um i'm embarrassed okay this. yeah nevertheless the first rounds fired from the machine guns uh were ineffective just due to the range like they could not reach the birds and the second round of gunfire was able to kill quote a number of birds they they fusillade. they fusillade cool fusillade fusillade great i'll actually go back and say that it makes me sound smarter um ne nevertheless yeah. nevertheless the first fusillade from the machine guns was ineffective uh due just to them being out of range <laughs> and the second I round i feel like that's an important distinction like hey guys don't fire until we can actually hit them yeah um the second round of gunfire was uh was able to kill quote a number of birds not not like there's not like we got 10 of them not like bird just, slaughter we got a number of them that's that's what they said the um, number is two no uh it's a number that we will specify at a later date a number of After birds. we add some more numbers to it, <laughs> yeah. when it seems a little more impressive. Now, later that day, a smaller mob was encountered, and perhaps, quote, perhaps a dozen were killed. Oh, so seven. <laughs> um, so that's the first battle, the Battle of Campion. The next significant event. Well, now we know what comes after a few. Yeah. Um, perhaps a dozen. <laughs> Perhaps a dozen. Yeah. The next significant event was on uh, November 4th. Major Meredith uh, had established an ambush near a local dam, and more than 1,000 emu were spotted, which is Dang. a lot of emu. Um, That's like a whole battalion. Yeah, and they were headed toward their position. 
This time, the gunners waited until the birds were in close proximity before Don't they opened fire. Don't fire until yeah. you see the whites of their eyes. <laughs> yep. Now, at this point, though, the gun jammed after only 12 birds were killed, and the remainder scattered around before any more could be shot. No more birds were killed that day. <laughs> so, so in, in the first... Two days of the Great Emu War, maybe 24 birds were killed. <laughs> and Almost they, two dozen. And they, but would, they had encountered more than a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, um, so it might be on record of me saying that I would not want to mess with soldiers from World War One because I feel like they're terrifying and all of that sort of thing. So I would like to reverse my previous statement mm-hmm. and say that I would be perfectly fine taking on anyone from World War One at any point because clearly they're terrible <laughs> at, at warfare. Yeah, yeah, they're not doing too great. <laughs> I have maybe shot a gun four times in my life. I think it's actually three, maybe four times. I have a feeling that if I had a machine gun and over a thousand emu, I could do better than 24. Yeah, I think you could do. I think anyone could. My nine-year-old son could do better. Because, I mean, they're at point-blank range at this point. They're literally, like, like barreled How gun. How do you miss? Like, yeah. Um, well, and- they probably aimed for the legs. The legs are tiny, skinny little things. Of course, yeah. you're gonna miss the legs. You go for the body, go for the meat. Yep. Uh, or maybe they didn't want to spoil the meat. They wanted to, you know, like they were going for headshots, so that way they could still eat all the birds afterwards. Yeah. So, uh, they for some reason rubber bullets. For some reason, the the army decided to report back um how the war was going this early on when they're doing this bad i feel like you lie in that situation (laughs) the media had a field day dude um quoting one of the recruits as saying the emu have proved that they are not as stupid as they are usually considered to be (laughs) wait each mob has its leader always an enormous black plumed bird standing fully six feet high who keeps watch while his fellows busy themselves with the wheat at that first suspicious sign he gives the signal and a dozen of heads stretch up out of the crops a few birds will take fright or will take fright starting um, a headlong stampede for the scrub and the leader always remains until his followers have safely returned uh, back into um, the, the the wild. Now, so it's like he's describing his enemy like there's a general and he's watching out for his people and his troops and they eat the food and he stands guard. And like that's a an Australian army soldier in the 1930s said that about an emu. <laughs> Who allowed him to talk to the media? I have no idea. Someone shoot him. You shoot that guy. Yeah. Before you'd probably miss. (laughs) And so the army's trying other tactics at this point. Uh, They tried gunning them down in moving trucks. They decided to get some trucks 
and put the machine guns on the trucks, but they then they found that they couldn't aim properly um, at their speedy foes. Yeah, we uh, knew that from earlier. Yeah. Now, one lone dead bird, as he was dying, rendered himself a nuisance yet again by getting in the way of one of the vehicles. He got tangled up in the steering equipment <laughs> of oh, the no. vehicle, which caused it to veer off and destroy half a length of somebody's fence. <laughs> so even in death, this emu is like, I'm going to mess you up. Like, <laughs> I will sacrifice myself for my brethren. <laughs> it said that, and this might be a little too graphic, but it said that his neck got twisted in the steering wheel. <laughs> That's such a great visual. I mean, it's horrible, but it's so cartoonish. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, like it's way better if you just imagine all of this in like cartoon drawing mm -hmm. and so it's not like actual emus it's cartoon emus and it's a really inept australian army because they're cartoons so of course yeah. it's cute and funny and silly yeah now by the 8th of november a mere sick not even a full week into the emu war oh gosh <laughs> Um, and I misspoke earlier. They did only have 10,000 rounds of ammunition. Um, not, they didn't have each 10,000. They only had 10,000 total. Um, so literally they couldn't even wipe them out because they weren't no, no, prepared no. to even wipe out the Yeah, yeah. Uh, at this point, Major Meredith's, Meredith's party had used 2,500 rounds of ammunition. 25% of the allotted total. And he had only destroyed 200 emus. <laughs> No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to be fair, that's more than I thought you were going to say. Yeah, but I mean, when there's twenty thousand of them, and like in here, like that's that's still not a huge percentage. Like that's. Oh no! I know no, means it's not, huge. but I mean, they had a thousand of them all cornered and still didn't even get twenty-four. Yeah, um, but still, that's not a good number, and especially when they've it took it took. 2,500 bullets to kill 200 emus. <laughs> when one that feels excessive. Yeah, it, it does feel excessive. Uh, when one New South Wales state labor politician inquired whether a medal was to be struck for those taking part in this war, his, his federal counterpart in Western Australia responded that they should rightly go to the emus who have won every single battle thus far. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. Love it. Yep. I feel like that's me. Like in this story, the person I kind of empathize with the most is the random dude making fun of everybody else. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, you're a moron. Shut up. That's yeah. who I aspire to be in life. No, I mean, that's that's that, that's a great aspiration. Um, now, I said that they only killed 200 birds. Some estimates were as low as 50 birds. <laughs> and some some highly optimistic estimates were up to 500. But everything, like, I, I read, like, a bunch, and I forgot to cite my sources. I'll, I'll do them by the end of the episode. Um, but some of them, most of them said 200. Wikipedia said between 50 and 500, and then one of them said 500. 
So I'm going to go with 200, but I do need to at least oh communicate That's that fair. some estimates were as low as 50 and some were as high as 500, which still isn't great. I um, really know, but I love the idea that it was maybe 63 birds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even this moment that it's, yeah, that's where I want to land. Um, Major Meredith officially reported that his men had suffered no casualties. <laughs> Except for we did take out that one fence. Yeah. Uh, and some, our truck doesn't work anymore. Summarizing the calls. necked up. Summarizing the calls. Uh, ornithologist Dominic uh, Cerventi commented, the machine gunner's dream of point-blank fire into serried masses of emus were soon dissipated. The emu command had evidently ordered guerrilla warfare tactics, and its unwieldy army soon split up into innumerable small units that made use of said military equipment uneconomical. A crestfallen field force therefore withdrew from the combat area after about a month. <laughs> yeah, it was it was bad, dude. Um, Pierce withdrew. Like Pierce is um, George Pierce. He's the minister of the emu war he okay it was so bad yeah by like things were going so poorly that a mere less than a week into the emu war he's like all right no we're we're pulling our troops in we we gotta no we can't do this anymore um well, it was just so at that point like yeah. that i feel like that's worse like you gotta say all <laughs> at that point you're like yeah. oh no like we cannot become this laughing stock to where the birds have literally won dude i mean it's it's what happened though dude and after the withdrawal, Major Meredith compared the emus um, to Zulus and commented on their striking maneuverability, um, oh even, even after they were badly wounded. And he's been quoted as saying the following, which is probably my favorite quote in this whole, in this whole ordeal. If we had a military division with the bullet-carrying capacity of these birds... It would face any army in the whole world. They can face machine guns with the inner with the invulnerability of tanks. They are like Zulus, whom even dum dum bullets could not stop. End quote. <laughs> okay, so no one who's on the front lines of this thing should be talking to anyone about it. <laughs> like they should be like, hello. Number one, we've cut off all the radio. Like, no one can get any radio news out. And anybody who wants to send a letter or have a public diary or personal diary or whatever, you have to turn that into us because this is now top secret classified material. We have to make sure you're not giving out any classified material. So, yes, just give us all our letters. And then they just burn them all. They never even send them. Like, you can't. Like, this is, this is, you, you cannot let news of this get out ever. Yet you've got quotes from people who are bragging about the ferociousness and the tank-like ability of a bird. <laughs> and yeah. I'm sorry. Once again, I would like to completely withdraw my previous statements about <laughs> World War One veterans. <laughs> yeah, dude. Um... Yeah, they're losing to a bunch of birds. <laughs> so that that ends the first half of the war. Attempt one is over. 
I forgot there were two parts. They attempt a second time. <laughs> How much later? So, yeah. So after the withdrawal of the military, the emu attacks on the crops continued. They were just like, huh, you guys, like, that's all you got? We're going to keep eating your wheat. Like, <laughs> like we're going to do it even more now. Like, <laughs> Well, I just, I have this image in my head of the army withdraws. They're like, okay, clearly we're not ready for this. This is above our pay grade. <laughs> and so I just like, I have this hit picture in my head of like Australian army boot camp that they're like pulling their draftees in. And it's, and think like in men in black, they're doing like the target practice of like the things pop up and they're like, shoot it if it's an alien don't shoot if it's a human but instead it's like an emu versus a person <laughs> and literally like everything and like the drill sergeants are all like yelling about you can't take off the birds who do you think i want to be with your mama and just like but everything is bird related it's every like world war ii documentary style anything but instead of nazis and germans they're yelling about emus and how you can't handle it <laughs> And that's what's going on in my brain right now while the emus are continuing their onslaught on the wheat. Dude, I like, like, and it's only, it's days. It's, it's, this is all happening in the span of days, not weeks, not months, days. And so they withdraw on the eighth and days go by and the birds are just like, okay, I guess we're going back to how things were. We're not going to get shot at anymore. I mean, we were still eating the wheat when you were shooting at us. Uh, and the now, general's all like, yeah. hey, we can, I can retire now. Yeah. Um, but farmers, again, were just I've like, my service. when the farmers heard that the army was withdrawing, they were like, no, you got to come back. You got to help us. We need your support. <laughs> citing, they were like citing the hot weather and drought that brought emus invading farms by the thousands they're like things are getting bad for us here we're getting thousands of emus on no, our farmland don't leave us don't <laughs> leave us please no and like the army's walking away and it's like general macarthur leaving the philippines like i will return and but he's no defeat and everyone's like okay he's just playing a game we know he's not coming back yeah so um james mitchell who's the premier of Western Australia lent his strong support to the renewal of military assistance in the area. At the same time, a report from the base commander was issued that indicated only 300 emus had been killed in the initial operation. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yep. Now the second campaign was, was mounted by again, major Meredith, on the 13th of November. Someone needs to fire this man. <laughs> like, you cannot put, like, you can't put him back. It's like, hey, General <laughs> Custer, we have more Indians for you to fight. Come and fight more Indians. Like, this is the same sort of thing. Like, you've just been basically destroyed by people who should have no chance of putting up a fight against you. But this isn't even people. This is birds. Yep, this is birds. And so, yeah, they got Major Meredith. Birds are basically tanks. Like, that guy, they brought, like, hey, you were there. We need you to come back. Like, <laughs> lead us. Lead Teach us. us your ways. 
And so on November 13th, 1932, they went back. Killed 40 emu. I'm not impressed. Two days later, barely any. And about, about a month later, like it was like things started picking up is a little bit more successful, I guess. But like about a month goes by and it, it was said that uh, 100 emu were being killed every week. Um, which is, I guess, fine, but still, like, not amazing. Like, you're a military, and these are birds. Like, that's mm-hmm. fine if it's, like, two guys. Yeah. They're like, we've got two guys out here. They're doing the bird hunting. Everybody else were sitting back playing cards. Yep. Um, and, like, he ex- – the reason why they, they mounted a second, um, a second attack – um was like because like these soldiers were saying like hey we we're needed we're necessary to combat this serious agricultural threat of the large emu population um and so the military again agreed to lend it will lend you our guns and on like but the expectation is that you need to provide the necessary people to like actually win this war for some reason they thought the necessary people was the same people that lost the war mere days earlier. Um, okay, so at this point, I want Marvel's next What If episode to be like not Captain Peggy Carter becoming whatever the super soldier, but like Captain Australia. Captain Australia. And instead of going to fight the Nazis, they're going to take on the birds i think that's just hugh jackman i want a hugh jackman movie where he's he's playing i want him playing major meredith Meredith, i want to see i just want to see him uh, going up against these birds him i want i want um chris chris hemsworth in it i want all the hemsworth brothers in it i want all the i want the famous australians all in this movie i want margot robbie in this movie yeah if you're Russell famous, Crow Russell, Russell Crowe Russell Crow plays the emu general. <laughs> oh my gosh, please. Where so they're all dressed up. It's kind of like cats. Yeah. But, Ooh, no. but emu. Oh. <laughs> so it's feathered. Mm. But yeah, so. Long sitting yeah. neck, Russell Crowe's head sitting on top of it. Yeah, so it's now been a month later. You know, it's that second attempt. It's around, it's early December. And, you know, this is Southern Hemisphere, so it's, like, getting, like, this is, like, their summertime, you know, it's getting warm. Mm -hmm. But the soldiers were killing, apparently, 100 emus per week. Meredith recalled on December 10th in his report, he claimed that 986 kills with 9,860 rounds at a rate of exactly 10 rounds per confirmed kill. 10 bullets to bring down one bird. That's a lot of bullets. Yeah. That's a lot of bullets. Like, I don't understand. Like, yes, it's a six-foot-tall bird, but it's only 80 pounds. Like, one bullet can take down a six-foot-tall man easy. Yeah. Um, And all of their, like, necessary parts are much more condensed into one area. Yeah, it's like a ball. It's a giant ball that you aim for. But yeah, like, bad, bad numbers, bad rates of, like bullets to to confirm bullets to bird death yeah bullets to bird death oh my gosh there's our episode title bullets to bird death (laughs) no we can't put death in the title of another episode (laughs) we can't do it it did great child death's one of our best episodes unfortunately 
I don't understand it, but yeah, no. Um, <laughs> so in addition, Meredith claimed that 2,500 birds were wounded and would later die as a result of their injuries that they had sustained. <laughs> how would you know? How would you be able to actually give a decent guess? I don't know. That? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I got one of them major. I did, but he ran off into the woods. Uh, I don't. I shot I mean, him. I shot him yeah, ten I'd times. Be lying about that too. <laughs> Did you shoot him nine times or ten, uh, soldier? I shot him ten. Well, he'll die eventually. We know it. That's the magic number. <laughs> no, I I, uh, I hit him one time, but it was a poison bullet, mm-hmm. and so I know it just takes a little while to activate, sir. Yeah. <laughs> um. So in assessing the success of this second attempt, um. In, um, sorry, in assessing the success of this call in the second attempt at war against birds, birds, in an article in the Colgardi Minor on uh, the 23rd of August, 1935, so a couple years later, um, a report stated that although the use of machine guns had been criticized by many people. <laughs> the method was actually um the most effective thing and saved what did remain of the wheat (laughs) i just don't i like there's a part of me that goes how did this story happen in australia because this is the most american thing i've ever heard yeah like instead of going hey we're losing all the wheat maybe we should take like a couple of plots of this wheat and poison the crap out of it so when they come and eat it they're dead and it's confirmed like they're not going to be able to survive instead we're going how can we bring in the big guns and blast them to pieces like that's the first response is like we have to shoot all of the birds mm-hmm so when there's poison poison's an option yeah it's an option and like the war is coming to an end so like you'll you'll kind of see what what the outcome came to be so you'll get to see how it has been resolved since the because EU prime minister met with the prime minister the human of, prime yeah, minister yeah yeah and and of course you know we all know how that went famous bird accords yeah so a month has passed basically this whole thing has lasted a month maybe a month and a half and you know we talked about how many bullets it's taken down um or it's taken to kill you know all these um all these birds but i mean he's basically out of ammo and so he gives his report major meredith gives his report to the military and to the government and they're like dude that sucks like that is not great so we're gonna pull you guys back again um so come on back the war's over and you've had your fun yeah you've had your fun we got some video of it. It's kind of funny. Um, your military career is obviously over. Here, well, we're not fans of Japanese the puku. We are going to hand you this short search. <laughs> Go ahead and commit it upon yourself. Yeah, you know, uh, you you do that. You know, when you see fit. You have um, dishonored your family and our country. <laughs> Generally, your mother has spat upon your name. Dishonor on you. Dishonor on your cow. Yeah. <laughs> So, unfortunately for 
our great conquering heroes, the government was like, hey, this is still a problem and we do need to fix it. It would be cheaper if we just bought ammunition for all the locals and had them take care of it. Or it'd also be cheaper if we had bounties on the heads of these emu (laughs) and everyone that that a civilian kills and brings to us will pay them for it. That would save us so much money compared to the amount wasted in literally just a month of war with our military and our military resources. Of a two-part war. Yeah, but two-part war. <laughs> but by this point in, in world history, there are two, there is only one world war and two emu wars. <laughs> <laughs> That's embarrassing. It is embarrassing. So what they decided to do is they said as a as a government they're like hey we'll provide all the ammunitions that you locals need to take care of this problem yourselves and over 6 months 57,000 emu lives were claimed <laughs> across the entire continent oh of Australia um so not just in west australia cuz that's you know that that uh-huh. regret that mob was only 20,000 and so yeah now you know horse riders had hats for days 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 they had so yeah now just because civilians were taking in their own hands now that does not mean that farmers in the region no like stop requesting for military assistance (laughs) well at this point they just enjoyed the show oh yeah in 1934 they requested military assistance so two years later it was denied in 1943 they requested military assistance. It was denied. In 1943? In 1948, they also requested military assistance. They were turned down all three times by the government. Okay, but 1940... In the midst of the... Three. Yeah. You, I heard that right. Yeah, in the midst of During the... World War II. <laughs> During World War II, they were like, hey, Australian government, I know we got this thing kind of going on as like the globe, but the emus are back. And... Like I know like, Hitler and like and the, the Japanese, Japanese are and, knocking on Australia. <laughs> and they were and, like, and they the know. farmers are like, no, <laughs> emus are a bigger threat than the Empire of the Rising Sun. <laughs> yep, yep, that's what they thought. That's what I, they thought. I have questions. <laughs> So, I mean, at least they were smart enough to say no, and they were probably like, no, you idiot, there's a world war going on. Like, like this problem is taking, you should see, the civilians are handling this way better than we ever did. In six months, they killed yes. 57,000. And in a month, no, sorry, in like a month and a half, we killed less than 10,000. What the heck? <laughs> and so... Yeah, I mean, they're the the bounty system, you know, that was in effect, and it was in effect for a really, really long time, um, up until like the '90s, um, because oh my gosh, yeah, they they didn't become a protected species again until the '90s, and so and other things were done to help protect the wheat crops in the '30s and onward. Exclusion barrier fencing became a popular means of keeping emus out of of certain areas. In November of 1950, Hugh Lasley raised the issue of emus in federal parliament and urged Army Minister 
uh, Josiah Francis to release a quantity of 303 ammunition from the army for uh, farmers to use. The military obliged. They're like, yeah, sure. You know, you can use them because again, giving you bullets is cheaper than us give, putting soldiers on the ground there. It's oh my gosh. My oh my gosh. That the military is part of this. In recent years, reference of the emo war has turned into a funny internet meme. In 2019, a musical adaption of the story was <laughs> was 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 workshops in Melbourne. <laughs> so at least Australia has a sense of humor about it now. I mean, that's good. <laughs> a a movie retelling of the events written by John Cleese and Rob Schneider is slated oh to release gosh. in 2022. <laughs> Okay, we're going to see that. We're definitely going to see that. We can't. I don't know how anyone can't see that. Um, <laughs> um, Literally, like, this entire time, I'm like, this has definitely got to be, like, a sci-fi original movie at oh my some gosh. point, some way, somehow. Yeah, they're done, they've done, like, Sharknado 11 at this point. We need Emu War now. Like, that's yeah. what we need. Now the gangly bird has taken its place of pride in the Australian coat of arms with um well if you can't beat them put them on your national crest yep so they're on the national crest right alongside the kangaroo um and it has had its status as a protected animal reinstated like i said earlier the emu population around australia is estimated currently to be around 600 to 700,000 significant which is again yeah that's significant uh nationally they're classified as of least concern in terms of like how extinct they are or how uh -huh. high up on the, on the, we need to save them level. Um, but still there are conservation efforts, you know, always, you know, Australia loves uh -huh. its wildlife. They're great. Um, they care about them now. They don't shoot them for eating, eating wheat anymore. Yeah. That is the great emu war of the 1920s and thirties. That's that. That's astounding. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's, um, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And bonkers. Embarrassing. And I will watch this movie. So will I. I, I, would, I haven't seen it yet. None of us have seen it yet. But I still would recommend it to anybody. Anybody who's listening to this should go watch that movie when it comes out. Just because. So now, I mean, we've talked about Emu. We've talked about the war. Uh, I've got some Emu facts that, uh, oh that, that some people might find interesting. National Geographic's being stupid. Their website is being stupid, but they were one of my resources. Okay. Let me actually say my resources now. It was um, Wikipedia, of course, uh, Scientific American, uh, National Geographic, a long series of, net, or of YouTube videos, <laughs> historyofyesterday.com, also... Uh, some uh, some great podcasts uh, that are out there. Like I said before, there is um, one that the dollop has done. I had never listened to that one, but at least it exists. I can't wait to listen to it now that I'm done recording this. Anyway, some uh, cool emu facts. So they, they're about six feet tall. We talked about yep. 79 to 90 pounds. Um, they live about 10. They only live about 10 to 12 years in the wild. So which I guess is long for a bird, but still not I crazy guess. long. Yeah, I don't. I honestly, like, you'd be like, hey, a bird 
lives 15 years. I'd believe it. You yeah. could say a bird lives an average of three years. I'd believe it. I don't have any idea about how long a bird in the wild would normally live. Um, they are the only birds with calf muscles, which makes sense of all the running that they do. They got yep. legs for days. They do um, have legs for days. The males incubate the eggs and raise the chicks. So they are tall penguins. Yeah. They run at 31 miles per hour. That's a maximum sprint speed. They What they do, they like to do is they put gravel in their like gizzard, and then that helps okay. them break up food as they eat it. Okay. And Fair. apparently, yeah. emu is red meat. It is like beef. No can, way. Yeah. Um, it contains well, calf muscles. It contains myoglobin proteins that help that hold oxygen that make meat red, and so it tastes a lot like beef, even though it's a bird. Interesting. Yep. I would eat emu. So would I. I'd 100 percent eat, eat eat. I would eat emu totally. And they are apparently really hard to defeat in war. So let's not go against them ever again. <laughs> They're undefeated in war. Undefeated in war. Two for two. Two. Back They've to back to against a major nation on the planet. Back to back uh-huh. emu war champions. No one else can say that. No one else can say that. So thank you for sharing this. You're with, welcome, man. Thanks for listening to us. me. Um, thanks for like when I could see it on your face when you recognize <laughs> what I was going to talk about. Like when I said, like you got so excited. And to be fair, the first excitement discount shark week at gmail.com was available and I was going to take it. Okay. The second bit of excitement you saw right after that was when all of a sudden the pieces clicked and I, my brain moved on from discount shark week at gmail.com. <laughs> well, you've said it twice now. Uh, where can people email us, Andy? At discount shark week at gmail.com or and also at midnight narwhal pod at gmail.com yes please have email two us. options two you options. have no no reason not to now exactly we have all the options yep do it do it or um, we'll sick the emus on you yep we've got some connections um i guess i got a friend with an ostrich and uh that ostrich are actually like higher up in the in the food chain then uh so like because i'm tight with him they can get me tight with the emus so oh that's fair yeah. you know yeah i, I get um, that Watch out is basically what we're saying. Because we're coming at you. We're coming at you. Land and sea. We got the narwhals at our back, and we got um, we got emus on, on on the ground. So come at so us. We got both hemispheres covered now. Yep. Bring it on. But yeah, thanks for listening. Hope uh, this episode blessed your ears and uh, broadened Mine your. Mine were absolutely blessed. Broaden your horizons. So warmed hope, your hearts. Mm -hmm. Have an amazing week, and uh, we'll talk at you next time, all right? Bye. Yes. Goodbye.